You're listening to the Sunday podcast from Life Point Church in Santan Valley, Arizona. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. All right, First John 4. I know there was a second one, but... Okay, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether or not they are from God. What does that mean? Test the spirits. Well, he tells us in the very next thing, right, that uh, many false prophets have gone out into the world, so this is how you can recognize the spirit of God, that every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But any spirit that does not acknowledge that Jesus is not from God, that any spirit that does not acknowledge that uh, is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. All right, I said last week that this was a sermon I thought I was going to preach last week, but instead uh, I preached on First uh, John 3, 1 through 5, I believe it was, or 8. See how great the love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And so last week, we established uh, as a Christian, the identity changes in you from a person in bondage, from an orphan to a child. Right, And so when you embrace the fact that you are not just a follower, you are not just a part of the tribe, somebody who's getting in line into the Christian faith, you are a child, son or daughter, with the same rights, right? You are adopted in, we talked about the rights, all of that, because what I'm going to share with you this morning is, uh, as it was referred to in first service, the meat and potatoes of the gospel, This is as solid as it gets. This is what uh, the world needs from the Christian church right now is this message, this idea of men and women who say, Jesus is my Lord, who just sang songs saying, I will resurrender, praise the Lord, those same people to be able to test the spirits. Many of us have given up our role in testing the spirits. And I'm going to talk about that this morning because the world desperately needs it. They need Christian men and women to act like children of the Most High King, right? And not children of a high king that you might see on the earth. Those kids are usually really awful. Not children like a king from the Old Testament. Those kids are usually super awful. Anybody read the Old Testament? How many of their children were just terrible, right? Whenever there was one that was not terrible, it was like, ah, oh, take a breath of fresh air. God says, see my son, be like him. Be like Jesus. Jesus who washed the feet of his disciples, the disciple he loved, John, Disciple Peter, whom the church he helped found upon his confession that Jesus is Lord, and the disciple who would betray him, who would set forth in motion everything for his crucifixion. He washed his feet as well. And that is who we are to imitate. That is what we're supposed to look like to the world, right? Like Jesus. So, how is it that we can live and claim to have one truth, the only truth, and that all of the other thousands of gods out there are false. I said this up at uh, our family camp uh, during my time off up north. Uh, 
I was watching these clips, you know, on social media, and one of them was Ricky Gervais and Stephen Colbert. You know who those two guys are? Comedians, right? And Stephen Colbert has publicly said he's, I believe he's Catholic and he has a faith. And so they were talking about this and Ricky Gervais says, no, I'm atheist and, or agnostic. I don't believe there's a God. And uh, this is how he said it. And it was really fascinating because Stephen Colbert didn't have an answer and the audience all sort of collapsed and was like, ooh, that was really good. He says, uh, so let me get this straight, Stephen. I know you believe in one God, right? That Jesus and Stephen's like, yeah, I do. And he said, well, you know, in India, they have like 3000 gods, right? And Stephen's like, yeah, they do. He's like, do you believe any of them are gods? Stephen goes, no, I don't. And he goes, so basically, I just believe in one less God than you do. You don't believe in 3,000. I don't believe in 3,001, your God. So really, are we that different? Now, isn't that a fascinating way, fascinating way to look at that? And what Stephen should have said, and this is what, as I sat and pondered it, what Stephen should have said is, you know, that'd be a great point. Here, Ricky, I have on my desk five glasses of water. Four of them have poison in it. I'm going to drink the one that doesn't. You go ahead and just pick one randomly. Or don't pick one at all and thirst to death. You see, the fact that you don't believe in what is true doesn't make us the same. It just means that you have a religious set of beliefs that you are dogmatic about, and you're saying, just don't put them on me. Don't put them on me. And so, would you say religion in the world is divisive? Would you say it's the most divisive thing in the world? Yes, followed only by politics. You guys are on it this morning, yes. That's right, followed by politics. And so often religion is looked at in the same vein as politics. Oh, I don't wanna hear your side or what you believe in, left or right, I don't, I don't wanna hear it, let's just have a good time together. Don't we do that with religion? Oh, no, 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 I don't wanna hear about your God, I don't, wanna, I don't need to hear about all that, just, let's just have a good time together. And we do that because religion has a strong tendency to divide people. Religion can create a heart in the person who is following it that moves towards oppression and violence. There is currently an ongoing war which has been going on, well, in the, for thousands of years in the Middle East. A holy war, a jihad, right? But then we can look at Christianity and we can see numerous wars and battles and people slaughtered in the name of Jesus and in the name of what's right. So yeah, I'd say for a long time, religion has been divisive and it leads towards an oppressive spirit. So now if, if you tell a group of people that they have the truth and they're saved by that truth, shouldn't that lead to a feeling of superiority to all of those who don't have the truth and aren't saved? I mean, the answer is yes, it's going to naturally lead. If I have the truth and you don't, it leads to a feeling of superiority. Well, when you're superior than another group of people and they don't want to hear your truth and you've tried to tell them your truth, what do you do? You separate. Okay, you go over there, we'll go over here. Well, what does separation lead to? Well, you, you pull away from all the impure people. So now you don't know anything about them or their lives. You only know what you remember it to be like when you were there. You become unfamiliar with them. And what you become unfamiliar with, you begin to believe the worst about. And then as you begin to believe the worst about them, you become actually what's even worse, indifferent. 
to their plight, indifferent to where they're at. You forget what it was like to not be a child of God. The stereotypes of who they are fill your mind and you no longer have any sort of compassion, love, forgiveness. Instead, you demarginalize and dehumanize the group of people that you used to be a part of. And the love of Christ that he called you to have for the world is gone. (laughs) We don't even end up loving each other. But we love God and we sing that we love him. And yet none of it is expressed. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this hard truth? How do we test the spirits of our day? How do we test the spirit of whether or not we ourselves have the fruit of the Spirit or the Spirit of the Antichrist. Now I know what you're thinking. I'm affirming that Jesus is God. I do not have the Spirit of the Antichrist. That's wonderful. You're speaking those words with your mouth. You're right. You are affirming that truth with your mouth. How does your life portray that truth? Right? I'm an apple. I'm an apple tree. I've proclaimed it with my mouth. Do I produce apples? Am I rooted to the ground? You'd all be like, you're nuts. I can tell you that, like you're crazy. You might be a nut. You're not an apple tree. I proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He is God, he came in the flesh as God. But then we go out and we live as if that is not at all part of our belief. So here's how the world is dealing with religion. There's two responses to religion. The first is to weaken it or to marginalize it. Get it to go away. You know that as the technological age began to advance, all of our philosophers and and even scientists said, well good, now that we have technology, religion will fade away. The crutch of a religion that humans needed to adapt to harsh surroundings will fade away. We'll have remotes for our TVs and air conditioning so we can live in the desert. I mean, how arrogant is that? How dare us? And we will have all of the things that we will realize we don't need God anymore. We have technology. That was the hypothesis. How has that turned out over the last 60, 70 years? It's actually gone completely in the opposite direction. Isn't that crazy? What they thought would fade away and there would be no more religions is gone completely in the opposite direction. More people proclaim a religious faith, not talking about our small little plot of land called America, but throughout the rest of the world than they ever have before. And so if you cannot get rid of it, you need to weaken it. So how do you weaken something as dogmatic as religion? You regulate it. You put regulations, laws, you try to put a wall around it to control it. The more regulations, the better it'll be, right? How's that worked out? Just ask communist China in 1940, right? When they sent away all the Christian ministries and said, uh, missionaries and said, no more. There, we got rid of Christianity in China. How is that going for the Chinese? hundreds of millions of underground, it's the largest Christian church in the world, is the Chinese underground church. 
So you're not going to get rid of it. When you try to regulate it, that doesn't work. So what, what, what do we do with it? John Stott, when writing on a commentary on this section in 1 John, he says, you cannot mistake, uh, you mustn't make the mistake to think religious diversity and religious views are merely intellectual phenomena, like a political view. What this text is saying is behind the range of religious views, there is a range of real spiritual influences. There's a spiritual realm, a transcendent realm. Human beings sense it, and we want to connect to it. Every human being will worship something. We will revere something. We will make something our ultimate concern. This passage is saying all of those things are not good. We can fix our heart and we can begin to worship something that puts us in bondage and creates hatred, not fear. This is John Stott's warning. Test the spirits, for many false prophets have gone out. Why doesn't it say test the prophets? Test the teachers, test the men and the women who are babbling this false stuff. Because that's not what matters. This is what John Stott's saying. What matters is the spirit they come in. What is the spirit that they are acting out of? He says, test that. I know they're coming in my name. I know they're saying they're coming in the name of Jesus. They're coming in the name of John, and Paul has sent them, right? They're using all the right names, but we're telling you, test the spirit that is behind it. Your religious impulse is not just something intellectual. Any of you in here who tried to get to Christ through intellectual endeavors know that it doesn't work. There are libraries filled with theological books and proofs and sound arguments and everything you could want to intellectually know that there is a God, that Jesus Christ existed, that he died on a cross. We have all of the empirical proof it happened, that he rose again, Everything we would consider to be true, eyewitness accounts, all of that, it's not intellectual. It's something much deeper. It's this indelible, unavoidable part of human nature. So, you can't weaken it. You can't really regulate it. What's the second thing we do? And this is what we've done in this country, and to this point, it's working. You confine religion to the private arena. Confine religion to the private sector of life. You want to have your religion? Fine. There can be a million religions in this country. We don't care. Just don't bring them in to the courts or the schools or the military or your business. Anything where the public is. You want to have your own private meetings? Buy land, build your own little building, and have your private meetings. But do not bring your ideologies and thoughts and beliefs into the public sector. Would you say that that's what we are? Is there anybody who would disagree with me? That that's where America's at right now? Okay, so I nailed that, perfect. What what society wants is for us to then, that's not enough, there also needs to be an understanding that all paths to God are equally valid. No one has any one superior path because when one believes they're superior, it can create strife and wars. So all paths lead to God. Do you hear that preached by any Christian preachers? Christian preachers? If you're listening to this, I'm air quoting like crazy. All paths lead to God. This is the religion of our country. Have your God. 
whatever it is. Money, fame, beauty, beauty. I didn't mean to point at me when I said beauty. I meant like your face, but if the shoe fits. Um, or whatever religion you want to believe in, fine. Have your religion. Just don't impose it on anyone else. And in verse five here, we get a hint of this. It says, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world will listen to them. Isn't that great? John's saying, listen, they're coming from a religious viewpoint as well. Don't think that Ricky Gervais is coming, that he's not religious. He might actually be more religious than some of you in here. He follows his belief. He stands up for it. He, he, he is a missionary for the atheistic belief. And he stands behind it, and he's got great arguments. Arguments so good, he shut up Stephen Colbert on his own show. So don't think you don't have a religious belief. You just have a different viewpoint that criticizes and goes against ours. And your lie that says all religions are equally valid and turn back to God is in and of itself Ready for this? An absolute truth value statement. Have you ever heard anybody use the elephant analogy for religion? If you, you may have heard this. So there's five blind men and they go up to an elephant, right? And one grabs the tail and one grabs the tusk and one grabs the trunk and one grabs the leg and one touches the side. One says he's like a wall, one says he's no like a tree trunk, one says he is uh, like a, a rope because he got his tail. And the point of the analogy is this, each of us come to the God, God's the elephant, and each of us come to God with our limited knowledge and God looks like whatever part of God we see. And so therefore though, all, all five blind guys are seeing God. Have you heard that? Well, now you have. So that's the illustration. Religions are the same. They all see part of the spiritual truth. So there's this guy, Leslie Newbigin, and uh, he's British, of course, and he is a missionary to India and all over, and he wrote a bunch of books. And so this argument came to him a bunch. One of his books is called uh, The Gospel in a Pluralist Society. The gospel of God in a pluralist society. And this is what he said. One day it suddenly hit me. The only way you can know that none of the blind men had a grip on the reality of the entire elephant was if you yourself could see the whole elephant. Isn't that fascinating? So in order to make that analogy, what you're saying is I'm not blind. I have my eyes wide open. And I'm telling you those five blind religious men down there touching the elephant, they all just have it in partial truth. I see it in whole truth. Now, the only way you can tell the story of the blind men and the elephant is if you saw the whole elephant. You can't tell about the blind men if you have eyesight. That means, he suddenly realized, the only way to possibly know that every religion only sees in part of the truth is if you assume you see in all truth. You see how religious atheists are now? Do you see how religious the agnostic is? They're unbelievably religious. They have an all-seeing, all-knowing truth. One so good they can let you know that yours is just one of many. It's actually very kind of them. This is how Leslie Newbingen concluded his page. I should have this quote up here. 
There is an appearance of humility in the protestation that the truth is much greater than any of us can grasp, but it is in fact an arrogant claim to a kind of knowledge which is superior to the knowledge which is available to fallible human beings. So we have to ask, what is the vantage ground from which you claim to be able to relativize all the absolute claims with which these different scriptures make? Jesus says, I am the I am. Jesus says, there is none other other than me. I do the will of the Father, right? Jesus makes all these claims, and I love it. What Newbiggin says here is he says, what ground do you stand on? Because yes, you appear humble in nature by saying that nobody can have the right truth, while you yourself take a superior knowledgeable stance as having the one truth. So you see, children of God, when we understand that the very statement by which oftentimes we cower back from our culture, which calls us either bigots or racist or unkind or mean because we hold to a truth that is based in the gospel, it's just two competing religious worldviews. It's not science versus faith, it's a religious worldview versus another religious worldview. Have you ever thought about it like that? Because remember what Stott said, every single human being, it is part of mankind's nature, we will worship something. We do, we will worship something. You take that something away, we'll worship something else. What happens when they would take away the idols that they made? They made new idols. We are, we are designed to worship. If that doesn't tell you you're created and not just a random chance of molecules, you are designed to worship. What you will worship, you have a choice. So if those are the two responses to religion, and neither one of them are really working out too great for us, um, what is the real response? What is the response that we should have? Actually, I'm going to take one second. I don't, I don't have a second. All right, I'm going to take time and do this. Keep religion out of the public square. I hear Christians actually say this same thing too. Keep religion out of the public square. Keep religion out of uh, politics or school or whatever else, keep them separate. By doing that, what we essentially do is we remove ourselves from any sort of equation when it comes to seeing change that we would like to see in our neighborhood because we're fear that we're going to uh, place religious beliefs on people who have no religion. I've already proven that's a lie. They have a religion, it's just different. It's different than how ours looks. Here's the here's thing, so divorce law, right? Here's a wonderful example, divorce law. Is divorce law just without any sort of religious background? I mean, it's just 100% science and law, right? You don't get any more public than that. Any, no? No. Here's, here's a fact. If your country values the individual, then your country will make divorce easy to do because it values individual rights, individual happiness, individual success. And if one is not happy in marriage, then we make a divorce easy. 
that's America, right? There's a billboard on the 10 that says $300, get divorced today. We've made it that easy. If your religion slash country values the family unit more than the individual, values raising a child in a two-parent home more than it does the individual, then it will make getting a divorce extremely difficult. That is many other countries where getting a divorce is very difficult. So, is that just a subjective, non-religious view Or is there actually something that isn't this subjective scientific approach theory to how we have a law in our country? See, when Christians take themselves out of the debate, when they say, I'm going to love my neighbor by not speaking truth at all, we squash the very spirit that we claim to be filled with. I want to read you something here. I didn't do this in first service, but this is so good. So Bruce Ashford was writing on Leslie Newbigin's life and and his book, and he said, can modern society be Christian, right? The modern church is what it's called right now. Can modern society be Christian? He says, late modernity cannot be reconciled with Christianity, Newbigin noted. Both Christianity and modernity are missionary faiths, and both make universal claims. For years, Christian leaders have tried to help Christianity survive in the modern world by confining it to the realm of inner experience or domesticating it so it doesn't make any claim on public life. But privatizing and domesticating Christianity reduces its central claim that Christ is the cosmic king and the gospel is public truth. Friends, when we take the very thing that changed our lives that set you free from the bondage of sin, addiction, death, wherever you were heading. And we we keep it quiet. We keep it only inside these walls. We don't share it, we don't publicize it, we don't tell people, and most importantly, we don't live out the call of our Savior. You have fallen into modern Christianity, which is a false spirit, it is a separate gospel. Because although it may verbally claim that Jesus is Lord, every action it aligns with is one that says he is not. He goes on to say, how do you build a healthy Christian society? First, Christians must recover the belief that the gospel is a public truth and the norm, (laughs) air quotes, by which all other claims are judged. When the church affirms the gospel as public truth, it is challenging the whole society to wake out of the nightmare of subjectivism and relativism and to escape from the captivity of the self turned in upon itself to accept the calling which is addressed to every human being to seek, acknowledge, and proclaim the truth. For we are that part of God's creation which he has equipped with the power to know the truth and to speak praise and worship of his creation in response to the truthfulness of the creator. That is your job. That is your job. Isn't that awesome? So what is the response? 
the, the response that works is this. We have to look at not what is similar between the, the Christian religion set of beliefs and the rest of the world set of beliefs. We can't look at where we're similar. We have to look at what's different. And what's different is that none of it is done by my works or by how good I am or how kind I am or how much I give or how loving I am. It is done by the work and the origin of Christ on the cross. It is done because our Savior is not a man or a great prophet. He was not born of normal means. He was God. It says he came as God. Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. He wasn't born a man and God's spirit came upon him. He is and was and forever will be God. And thirdly, and most importantly, the method of, by which Jesus saves us is a method of grace. You and I are saved by grace, lest any of us should boast. So there should be no superiority amongst a Christian. In fact, it's the opposite for Christians because we should look at ourselves and say, I know where I was. I know how, who I am now and I see what I was. And I, I love you so much and I want to serve you until you can see what God has allowed me to see. You mean you want to beat it into me and you want to post on my page and you want to argue with me and you want to tell me I'm wrong about sex and all of these other things and you want to you know, put, put your values and force them down my throat. Why do you think that's what the world thinks that's what Christians want to do? Because that's what we do. Just stop for a minute. What if just the people in this room went home today and for one week in each of your communities, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, what if all we did was serve and love those who spit in your face, who spit on your values, who cursed God to your face, and you loved them and you served them in return? And you went home and prayed for them. You didn't tell them, I'm praying for you. Don't do that. That's a jerk move. Especially when it's set out of that heart. Oh, I'm going to be praying for you. Just go home and do it. Or pray right there. You see, I don't think it would take too long for the same thing that happened in the book of Acts and throughout numerous other cultures for the last 2,000 years for the church in America to become the head and not the tell of culture. We have to stop talking about what we believe in and just live it out because here's what the final verse is of what we just read. Well, actually, I didn't get to read this. I'm running over time. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. So this is how God showed his love to us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So what is love? Just getting along with everybody, agreeing with everybody, keeping quiet? No, love is sacrificing yourself for others. Love is sacrificing your time and your finances, your health, your wealth, and your comfort so that somebody else might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is the church. That is the call of the sons and the daughters of Christ. Last week, you learned your identity. Last week, we reaffirmed in each one of us who you are in Christ as beloved children, as heirs. And this week, we affirm what a child looks like and what a child does. And a child walks in his father's footsteps. A child loves how he was asked to love. 
How simple was it? Love your neighbor as yourself. You've got the love God part. I know many of you in here love Jesus with all your heart. You've got that part down. You're halfway there. Now just go love your neighbor as yourself. And when you make a mistake, repent. And get up and keep going. Like this is the meat and potatoes because this is so simple. It's not like the church needs to go and build a massive uh, giant facility to teach or to train. We don't need to build another food shelter or homeless. We don't need to do these things. We just need to, in our lives, practice what we preach. That Jesus loves all, that we love you. I disagree with your lifestyle. I disagree with your position on this political topic. I will vote based off of what I believe is right for humanity. If you want to hate me, if you want to curse me, if you want to belittle me on social media, you have every right to do so. I have no need to fight back. Instead, I will pray that God's mercy would come upon you. Because as Jesus hung on the cross, his words were not, take them, Lord, for they are my enemies. It was forgive them, for they know not what they do. You see, apart from God's Holy Spirit saving you from your bondage, you yourself would still be trapped in it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we we need this, Lord. We need your Holy Spirit. The church so desperately, I need it, God. I need it in every facet of life, Lord. Not just some big statement of of religion, but Father, in, in, in everything I do, in dealing with my children, in response to my spouse, in, in my work, in, in driving on the road, and in, in the stores, Father God, help me. May, your, may, may, may the spirit that I exude be yours. May the fruit of the spirit, patience, peace, gentleness, kindness, love, all of its self-control, Father, may it pour out of me. May a critical spirit die in me, Lord. Kill a critical spirit in me that is critical of others and critical of other Christians. Father, would you uphold love in me? Teach me how to stand for what is true. Teach me how to, how to evangelize what you have done in my life, Lord. But not to compromise the truth of your gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion here. Communion is reserved for those who have given their life to Christ, who have said, yes, you are my Lord, you are God in the flesh. If that isn't a proclamation of your life, we encourage you just to abstain. We take communion weekly because it says in the scriptures that Jesus said, when you gather together, we do this in remembrance of me. And so as he is with his disciples there in the night that he would be betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he told them something super important. He said, this is my body. God of the universe in the form of man. And it is his body that gives us the access that we have to the Father. It says he blessed it. So we bless this now in the name of Jesus. And no other name. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus took the cup then, and he told his disciples something that would change their life forever. He said, this is the blood 
of a new covenant between God and man. This is my blood. And it is the blood of Jesus that covers me. It is the blood of Jesus that redeems me, that makes me righteous. Nothing that I've done, not even the decision to choose him is mine, but he upholds it all in me. And so I live in abject humility, in gratitude and thankfulness, because his blood forgives my sin. Let's drink together.